welcome back to the Harvest Baptist Church podcast here in Burlington, North Carolina. We're so glad you could tune in and join us again this week. We hope that you'll continue to listen and share this podcast with some of your friends and loved ones around you. This week, Pastor Lambert starts a new series for Harvest from the book of Daniel. So let's go ahead and join Pastor Lambert, the Harvest Baptist family. We're going to be in the book of Daniel this morning. Daniel, kind of the middle of the Old Testament. Uh, Ezekiel is a bigger book. It's easier to find. Get Ezekiel, and then Daniel's right beside Ezekiel. You have trouble there. Uh, the title of the message is Daniel, Standing in a Fallen World. And we're going to kind of introduce that to you. This is also a follow-up from the last two weeks' messages when we spoke on the life of Joseph, talking about success in life. It can be argued that Daniel lived a successful life. Joseph and Daniel were separated in time by a long time, years-wise, but they have a lot in common. First of all, they were both teenagers. They were both teenagers when God plopped them down in the middle of his plan. Both Daniel and Joseph, as teenagers, were taken away from their home, taken away from their family, taken away from everything that's familiar, and they were both placed into a situation in the world, Egypt and Babylon, two of the most cosmopolitan countries in the history of the world. So having said that, let's go to Daniel chapter 1 and read a few verses together. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with king of Israel, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. He attacked it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And he carried some articles from the house of God and he, he took the articles out of the temple in Jerusalem and he put them in the temple of his idol in Babylon. Verse three. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, instructed Ashpenath, the master of his eunuchs, the head of his household servants, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants, the king of Israel's descendants, and some of the nobles from Israel, young men in whom there was no blemish, but they were good-looking men, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and they were quick to understand. They were sharp. They had ability to serve the king's palace. They, were, they had social graces whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans, again, the Babylonian culture. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of his meat, his food, and the wine which he drank, and they gave three years of training for them. At the end of that time, they might serve the king. Now, from among these men, these young men, were the sons of Judah from Israel, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And to them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names, he renamed Daniel, Belteshazzar, Hananiah, he named Shadrach, Mishael, he named Meshach, and Azariah, he named Abednego. We'll stop right there. Here's the deal. Nation of Israel, God's people, God's kingdom, God's plan. They fell into sin. They worshiped idols. God sent prophets to preach to them. They didn't repent, so God judged them. And the way God judged them is he let Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, come over, conquer them. Nebuchadnezzar did what most rulers in that day did once he conquered a nation, when he, he took the best and the brightest away from Israel and he took them over to Babylon. Babylon now is, and to give you some perspective, and most of you know this, some of you may not, Babylon 
then is modern-day Iraq today. They, they took them to the city, which was the country, Babylon, the city of Babylon, the country of Babylon. The city of Babylon still exists today, and, and it was a tourist attraction in Iraq during the days of Saddam Hussein. It is 55 miles south of Baghdad, which is the current capital of Iraq, which is Babylon. It is an ancient civilization. So they, they took the best and the brightest of these people from Israel, and they took them to captivity to Babylon. That did two things. There wasn't any sharp people in Israel to, to lead a revolt, and then they used them to their benefit. They always took teenagers, young people. It is estimated by Bible scholars and historians who are smarter than me, it doesn't take much, but they're smarter than me nonetheless, that Daniel at this time was about 14 or 15 years of age. These four young men, Daniel, and then the three other men, the three other Jews, Jewish boys, there were probably 100, 70 to 100 in this group. We only know the names of four of them, Daniel, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know them because of their fiery furnace experiment. So they're there. They've take, they're taken away from their homes, taken away from their family, taken away from their culture. They never saw it again. Daniel lived to be 90 years of age, and he died in Babylon. And so they said, we're going to retrain these young men. We're going to train them to be good Babylonian citizens, and then we're going to send them back to rule Israel, and they'll be our rulers. But it's easier to rule a conquered people if foreigners don't do it. So that was the plan, and that was pretty commonplace in that culture. So there is a conflict. Babylon versus Jerusalem. Now, this is where we get to the nitty-gritty of the message. I'm going to kind of deflect from actual places to show you the philosophy behind it all. There has always been a conflict between Babylon and Jerusalem. Babylon is mentioned 260 times in the Bible. It is arguably the most important city in God's plan to Jerusalem. Babylon is used to represent philosophically, metaphorically, Satan's city, and Jerusalem is God's city. There are two cultures. They're at work. They were at work in 600 B.C. when Daniel was there. They're still at work today. You got Jerusalem, the city of God. It represents a culture, a civilization, a worldview. Here you have Babylon, which represents a civilization, the secular culture, a worldview. Each of us today, even in this world today, 4,000, 5,000 years since then, we still fight the same war. Two worldviews, God, not God. Evolution, creation. What's your worldview? What's your culture? You're in Babylon, you're in Jerusalem. Um, the... Expositor's Bible commentary, I got this out of, it, it wrapped it up. Babylon symbolically does not represent a physical location, although it was a physical location. But the practice and philosophy which originated in Babylon and spread throughout the world. Babylon is understood to be the archetypal head of all earthly resistance to God. Babylon is the total world culture apart from and in opposition to God. We're introduced to Babylon over in Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11 when Noah and the ark landed. Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they had children and they, they repopulated the earth. 
one of Noah's sons had descended. His name was Nimrod. And he settled in Shinar, the land of Chaldea, and he started a city called Babel. The word Babel means confusion. Then over in chapter 11, this little city called Babel, the people gathered together and they built a tower, the Tower of Babel. And it was to have one world government, one world system. We're going to all get together. And God said, no, I don't want that. They all spoke the same language and God confused their languages and spread them out. But Babel continues to exist today. It is the culture outside of God. It is secularism. It is atheism. It is humanism. And it, it, look, it is not new. It has been in operation since Genesis chapter 10. I was reading this this week. I'm a big history buff, and I was reading about the, the Tudors, the uh, T-U-D-O-R-S, the, the ruling family in England. And Henry, King, King Henry in England, there was a big schism in his kingdom over the humanist and the religious. That, that so interested me. And we see it today. What is your worldview? What do you believe? What, are you God-centered? Or are you man-centered? And there was combat in the culture war, and we still have that combat. They brought these teenagers, and their purpose for these teenagers was to re-educate and retrain them so they would one day be good Babylonian citizens and place them back to rule and reign. Now, these teenagers were 14 or 15 years of age. When Joseph was taken to Egypt, he was 17 years of age. Let me say a word to you teenagers, okay? Here's what I heard. I, I cut my teeth on youth ministry. I was a youth pastor many years ago. And here's what teenagers have always said in every generation, generation after generation, they said to their parents, they say, you know, I don't like to go, and they always call it the adult church where you are right now. I don't get anything out of it. It's not for me. Now, let me say to you teenagers, where do you get that? I say to you, teenagers, I ask you this question. Are you a Christian? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? If you do, if you do. Now, some of you may not. You may not even claim that. But if you do... You see this book right here? I'm preaching out of this book. It's called the Bible. God wrote these words and he gave them to us. And do you know why all the, existentially, why we're all here is to take what God said, what does he mean? How can it apply to our lives? Now, let me tell you something, teenagers. This book is to you. It isn't to parents. You, you, you're not just some teenager that's not accountable to God until you get to be 30. Then when you're 30, all of a sudden, no, no, now, I'm talking to you right now. You're 14 years old. God's got a plan for you. There's no excuse for you not to do what God wants you to do right now. God called Daniel when he was 14 years old. God called Joseph when he was 17 years old. And some of you, God bless you, you, you will be miserable when you get to heaven, teenagers and adults, if, if you make it to heaven. You know, what we, you know what you do in heaven? You talk about Jesus. You know what you do in heaven? You sing songs about Jesus. You know what you do in heaven? You worship Jesus. Some of you, God bless you, if you make it, you'll be miserable because you hate all that stuff. But see, somehow we think 
We think. I don't care about God. I don't read the Bible. I don't care what God wants me to do. I live the way I want to live, act the way I want to act. But I come to church, and one day I'm going to heaven. All of a sudden, I mean, when you die, you become spiritual. You know, you're going to die the way you live. Teenagers, I'm talking to you. Mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, I'm trying to talk to you. There is, there is absolutely, to my knowledge, no command in the Bible that doesn't apply to teenagers. There's no command in the Bible that God expects your parents to do, but you don't, he don't expect you to do it. There's none. There's no promise given to adults that isn't given to teenagers. God wants the same re relationship with the teenagers he does their mama or their grandmother. So I am talking to you, teenagers. Do you understand that? The purpose of Babylon, the purpose of the system apart from God is to teach, to train, to indoctrinate people to be citizens of secular city Babylon. And it, it's always been that way. Some of us baby boomers remember World War II and Hitler. I was before my time, but it was still fresh when I was studying history. Hitler started Nazi, Nazi Germany, and he turned the whole nation, much of Eastern Europe, into Nazis. Do you know what Hitler did? He, he told a whole nation, almost a whole continent, that white people were superior to everybody else. Hitler told a whole continent that Jews are the scum and the scourge of the earth. We need to wipe them out. And, and Hitler killed six million Jews while much of Europe applauded and helped him. Hitler said, I will eradicate thousands of years of domestication. That is how I'll create a new order. How did he do that? He started with the Hitler Youth Movement. Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar said, bring these kids and let's teach them and we'll make them Babylonians. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been going on. The world culture. James Dobson said in the 70s, there's a culture war raging in America and the victors get the hearts, the souls, and the minds of our children and our grandchildren. That has always been the reward of the culture war winner. And it is out there. It is not a secret. They're open about what they believe. Google, bang, whatever you do, go to the American Humanist Association. This is a huge organization. This is right off their website. And the American Humanist Association, their motto is having good in the world without a God. We don't believe in God, but we do good. That it is not an obscure organization. Go to their website and look at who is on their board of directors. Movers and shakers, politicians and leaders in every avenue of life. They've been around for, forever, but they had three humanist manifestos where they put in print what they believe and what they want to do. 1933, 1973, 2003. These are direct quotes from those humanist manifestos, what they believe and what they want to do. First of all, they, there is no divine purpose or providence for the human species. God has no purpose and no plan for humans. 
We're here. We're animals. We're just like everybody else. There's nothing special about you. You, you get on this world. You live your life. It's over. There's nothing special about being a human. These are quotes. That second, they believe the universe is self-existing and not created. That's the foundation. There, listen, there is no God. There is no God. So he can't create man. He can't create the world. It's just, it's evolution. There is no God. There is no purpose. It happened. There is no deity to save us. We must and we will save ourselves. And how we do it? To a socialized and cooperative global economic order that must be established so that equitable distribution of the means of life, that means your money, equitable distribution of the means of life will be possible because humanists demand a shared life and a shared world. Now, look, that, that is not secret. Again, go to their website. Go, see, some of you rolling your eyes. You think the preacher is a loon. The preacher is some kind of conspiracy theorist. No, go to their website. See who believes what they believe. They are not ashamed of it. They are open with it. That is what they've been trying to do since Genesis 10. And they put it on paper. It's there. Go read it and go see who adheres to it. Not just some nuts, but people who control the machinery of our civilization. Go, go look. I dare you. That's what they believe. And one of the signers of the 73 manifesto, Gloria Steinem, some of you old-timers know exactly who she was. Her and Betty Friedan. Betty Friedan also was a signer of Humanist Manifesto too. They said, and this sums it up, 73, when they put out Humanist Manifesto two, they said, by the year 2000, we will, I hope, raise our children to believe in human potential and not in God. Now, I'm here to, listen to me. I'm here to tell you. You can say what you want to say about me. You can think what you want to think about me, but I'm here to tell you they have done that. They have done that. Mission accomplished. That's the way it is. These teenagers here, God bless them. I love them. But you know, you parents would be shocked to know what they believe. You think they believe like you believe? They don't. We say tolerance is a big buzzword. Tolerance to you, tolerance to, to adults and somebody from my generation or before in this country, tolerance means, well, we know these people believe weird things. We think they're wrong. And we need to convince them and pray for them they're wrong. Tolerance today means that anything anybody believes is legitimately the truth and their beliefs is just as true as mine. They're just different. That's what, you're, that's what they believe. That's what they're taught. That's what they're programmed. Next week, I'm going to show you how Daniel and these three, they responded to the culture. You don't just cuss at all. I mean, there's a way to reach it. But the problem we have is that you parents, you want your kids to be successful in Babylon. You do. You would, you would rather your child be successful in Babylon than be a missionary in Africa any day of the week, twice on Sunday. 
You believe that serving the Lord and being a fanatic is for those schmucks that can't do any better, but your children are better than that. You bring your children to church when it's convenient. And you want your children to know about Jesus. You want to know about Daniel in the lion's den. You want to know about Jonah and the whale. But when, when you leave church, you don't live like Christians and you don't expect your children to. You want them just to have enough religion to get them away from hell in case there is a hell. You use church like a smallpox vaccine, give your children just enough dose of religion to, to inoculate them. 73% of children, once they graduate from high school, leave church and leave their belief system. And it is, listen to me, it's because we bring them to church and you put them everywhere else. And see, some of you right now, you, you just, to you, you're, you're pushing me off. I'm a fanatic. I'm an idiot. I'm, I am a religious zealot. I'm a nut. I don't know what the real world's about. You have to say that to defend what you believe and how you act. I have three grandchildren that are living in Babel. And you can send them to Christian school. You can take them to church. But that isn't going to inoculate them. But you, you parents, you don't, you don't live for God. You don't pray. But you drag Johnny and Susie to church when you don't have anything else to do. And then when they leave and they go off the deep end, because see, they're out there in Babylon. They're out there in Babylon. And you believe they think they believe like you do. But when they go off the deep end and they're into Drugs, sex, and what the Bible even calls perversion, your kids accept that just because you take them to Sunday school. It ain't going to change it. Most, most people have never seen a real Christian. They've only heard about them. Heard a missionary story. He went to Indonesia or into China or somewhere, and he, he worked with a group of people. They were in like a, a jungle setting, rainforest setting. And they were thieves. They steal. You had to tie everything down. These people were thieves. That's how they lived. And he, got, he said, I got so angry and I, I fussed at them for stealing. And he said, I stayed there for four years on the field, lived with them, had church for them. Not one of them got saved. Not one of them converted to Christianity. He said, at the end of my four-year uh furlough, I came home and I went, I went to a seminar, a Christian seminar. He said, God used that seminar to break my heart. And he said, I made some commitments to God. And so when I went back to those people, I called them together and I apologized for my anger and my resentment toward them. And I started treating them the way Jesus said to treat people. He said, eight months later, they asked me to come to a town meeting and the whole village was there. And they came to him, and they had their, the chief of the spokesman say to him, call him a name that meant white father or something. And they said, you know what? You have become a Christian. And he said, what do you mean? You have become a Christian. And now we are ready to listen. Because you, when you came four years ago, you told us about what a Christian was, and we wanted to see one. Now we've seen one. 
Let me tell you something. Your, your teenager's parents need to see a Christian. You live like you want to live. You act like you want to act. Some of you, God bless you. I am Larry. I've been here for 30 years. I love you. You think because you prayed a prayer 20 years ago and then it didn't change you a bit. You live like the devil, act like the devil. It hadn't changed you at all. But if somebody said, are you going to heaven? You'd say, yeah, because I prayed 20 years ago. You are lost. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passing away, all things become new. And we need, I'm gonna tell you what this world is crying and dying for. It does not need new church members. It does not need new churches. It needs people who, of God to actually live like a Christian. Your kids need you to live like a Christian. And I want to tell you, you do mealy mouth service. You might pray for supper. You might whatever. You might give lip service, but you live like the world. Your values are like the world. And your kids are going to go to the devil because you are a hypocrite and you don't know it. The preacher might not know it, but bless God, your kids know it. And what we need is old-fashioned, heaven-sent, sin-killing, revival, and that only comes in the church. Let me tell you something. We don't need somebody different in the White House. We don't need somebody different in Raleigh. We need men and women that sit in the pews of Harvest Baptist Church that you couldn't drag you here if it wasn't a scheduled service because you got other stuff to do. That you need to sell your soul to Jesus Christ who gave his life for you. You need to love him. You need to care for him. You need to put him first. You need to quit talking that junk and start actually living it in your life. Your preacher does and you do. Some of you, I love you. You're on this pew right now, but you, this pew is a launching pad to hell because you don't know Jesus. Your life has never changed. You, you do not have any care for Jesus Christ. It's just something you do. And I'm sorry. I love you too much not to tell you the truth. And I am. Somebody asked me, and it hurt my feelings. Uh... Ask me at 10 o'clock, preacher, who are you mad at? And I'm going to tell you something. I am far from mad. I am far from angry. I am something I have not been in about 25 years. I am grieved in my spirit. I am grieved in my spirit. I grieve for my grandchildren who growing up in Babylon. I grieve for your children. They might tell all the stories. And they might have their Bible. But I'm going to tell you something. They need Jesus. And if Jesus Christ saves somebody, he changes them. And what this world needs is for you to be a Christian. The admonition I give my grandchildren, we go on the playground of McDonald's. I say, what, 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 come here. What do you want, God? I said, I want you to act like a Christian. And you know what I want deacons? What I want you to do. I want you to act like a Christian. You know what I want from Sunday school teachers? I want you to act like a Christian. But the problem is you can't act but so long. God's got to change you. And what we need to do, ladies and gentlemen, is get on our face before a holy God and say, God, we have been wrong. And I have been a preacher, but I have done wrong before you, God. And I want you to change me. I want to be changed by the power of God. And I want the world to see a Christian. And that's what I want for you. I've seen kids grow up in this church, stand on this platform for programs and plays and Bible schools and come to me and hug me and stick notes under my door that loved me when they were kids. And they grew up and they went to Babylon and they never came back. 
And I'm listening to me, teenagers, I'm talking to you. You can do what you want to do and you can act like you want to act, but I'm telling you there's a God in heaven and he expects you, you, teenager, your parents is no excuse. You, you are going to give an account to God for you. And the best revivals in this country and in the world have started with young people. And young people, why don't you determine in your heart to be like Daniel? We're going to study it next week. Daniel purposed in his heart he would not defile himself. Young people, why don't you purpose in your heart that you're going to be a Christian, that you're actually going to quit talking about it, you're actually going to quit being a hypocrite about it, and you're going to actually live like it. And I'll, I'll you put your kids in all this cult, you want them to be absorbed in this culture, and there's nothing wrong with some of that. What they need is Jesus. And you say, we love Jesus, and Jesus is first in our life. Jesus is first till something else comes up. Let me tell you something. God bless you. I love you. But if your kids played ball at 11 o'clock on Sunday, you'd quit church till the season was over. You might not, you might not like it, but I'm going to tell you, you can say, on a cold Sunday morning in February, one time, somebody told you the truth. Because I'm telling you the truth, and I'm not asking you. I, my kid, my grandkids, they do stuff, and I want them to. But I want them to know Jesus. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Folks, a thousand years from now, you're going to be in heaven or hell. A thousand years from now, your children are going to be in heaven or hell. This is serious business. And we're living in Babylon. And they're eating the king's meat, and they're learning the literature and the language of Babylon. See, what you say is sin, they say tolerance, because they learn language in Babylon. What, you, what God says is perversion, they say is an alternative lifestyle, because that's the way they talk in Babylon. And our children are learning the language, the literature, and the lifestyle of Babylon before, under our very noses. And I'm not the prophet or son of a prophet, but I'm telling you that if we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to keep getting what we're getting. And I'm going to tell you, this world's in a mess. Our country's in a mess. The world's in a mess. The church of Jesus Christ as a whole is in a mess. And if somebody doesn't get their heart right with God, if somebody didn't start, didn't start being Christians, we're doomed. How about you? Have you purposed in your heart to take a stand for God? The next generation needs you to take that stand. We hope you'll join in with us next week as Pastor continues through this series in the book of Daniel. We'll see you then.